And today's sponsor is Zestcoin. It's an excellent masternode project with an equally great use case. What? Charity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all want to make money in crypto, don't we? We all... We're all looking for something, aren't we? We, I mean, for me, it's it's comfort. I'm looking for comfort and I'm looking for freedom. And hopefully the money that I make in crypto will, will generate that for me. But wouldn't it be lovely, as you were doing that, to give something back along the way? Well, Zest has, has, has five designated charity pools. Uh, Rapid Relief, Scholars Club, Prosperity Pool, Club Zest and Athletic Pool, right? Masternode holders can nominate charities they feel fit each category and then the community votes on which are best and dollars will be donated to them. Additionally, Zest uses its smart growth approach to address inflation and keep the coin price high, whilst also allowing Masternode holders to earn passive income. It's great. It's got a strong development team. It's got an active community. You can go and join the Discord uh, and and join in the discussion there. Um, You can buy it on CoinExchange and Cryptopia, but you can go and learn more about the project at zestcoin.io. And I know some people listening to this podcast aren't crypto dudes. So a masternode basically is really simple you buy a bunch of coins you put them in your wallet and then you earn more coins every month interest you earn interest so if you have a zest masternode right it would give you according to masternodes pro no masternodes.online and i don't know if this is up to date uh, a weekly income of $129 and a monthly income 554 and a yearly income of $6,700 just for buying a Zest Mastodon, it cost you two and a half thousand dollars, I think. So, ah, yeah, Zest, a new This Strange Life sponsor, and I'm just incredulous at those statistics. What a great coin, what a great team. Glad to have them as a sponsor. Love those guys. Go and check them out, guys, at zestcoin.io. Peace. <coughs> This strange life. I'm Mickey, the conduit between the freaks and the geeks. This is Willie. <laughs> <laughs> I left you hanging there, brother, didn't I? I thought maybe you had more to say there. No, 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 no. This no, is no. just Willie today. Uh, yeah, no yeah. nickname. Yeah, well, well, the subject matter today I, is, is going to be heavy, right? I'm feeling serious, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be heavy, so, so we're not going to play around too much, and we hope it's going to be a heavy-hitting episode for you guys, and our third wheel, as usual, is... Hey, plop pickers, it's <laughs> Jimmy the Chin, a.k.a. Ryan Breadbin, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, today, tonight... Uh, or whatever time it is where you are, we've got, uh, yeah, Columbine, uh, author of Columbine, a true crime story, uh, 
first responder, one of the first respond no, sorry, one of the first reporters to the scene, and somebody who's covered everything from uh, Columbine to, would you believe it, Hunter S. Thompson. Jeff Cass, how are you doing, Jeff? You okay? I'm doing well, thanks. <laughs> well, we've been waiting for this episode for a couple of weeks now, and uh, yeah, so do you mind just can we start off jeff just tell us a little bit about yourself tell us about the books you've written and uh yeah how you how you got to uh today where you are today uh well um i i before i came to denver colorado um i grew up in los angeles and i was a reporter at the la times and probably the biggest story I covered at the L.A. Times was the O.J. Simpson custody case. So uh, not to get too far afield, but when when O.J. Simpson was acquitted on the criminal case, he went to get his son and daughter back who had been born with Nicole Brown Simpson. And her parents said, no way, we think you're the actual killer. We're not giving our grandchildren back to you. Um, but he actually ended up getting them back because um, that's really where the law lies with the natural parent. So um, anyway, I came to Denver, Colorado. About a year after that, um, Columbine occurred. And uh, I was one of the first reporters on scene. Nobody knew what Columbine High School was then um i remember that day i I called the sheriff's department to i think it was the sheriff's department to ask for directions on how to get to the high school because it was rush 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 and um i didn't have time to look at a map or anything and the internet wasn't really up and running back then as we know it today so um i remember driving out to the scene and um just all these police cars were passing me on the roads and freeways with their lights and sirens on because, you know, there were hundreds of police officers and also firefighters and paramedics there that day. So it was, again, you know, officers from throughout the Denver metro area were all converging on Columbine High School. Wow. Wow, man. So, oh, man. Uh, So many, so many things I want to start with, Jeff. And there's so many routes and avenues we can go down but what what i think is going to give the best narrative for our listeners for the for the strangers out there is is klebold and harris let's start with them i mean who were they jeff because there's there's a narrative going around that they were victims and they were they were the bullied but that that's not true at all is it no i i mean i they were they were bullied. Um, oh, they were? Okay. Yeah. There, there is truth to that. Um, if you read Brooks Brown's book, who was um, – he was friends with them, and then the sheriff accused him of having complicity in the, in the shootings, but nothing was ever proven. Um, and it may have been – it just seems to have been made up, or it certainly seems untrue. Um he he writes he wrote a book about growing up with them and uh, they certainly were bullied, and they might have done some bullying, a little bullying themselves to other people. But um, I think I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. You can be bullied, and you can also bully other people. Um, and I think they were probably the 
biggest outcasts in the school. Um, they may have been the most unpopular people in that school. And, you know, they had an awareness about that. And it, it, ate, it ate at them. Okay, that, that's interesting because uh, f- from all the research I've done, I thought that Harris especially was, was more a happy and popular kid. Uh, and quite well liked, but Klebold was was really the opposite, and he like followed Harris around like a, you know, like a puppy dog. But it, it sounds from what you're saying that that's not true. That they were both uh, outcasts. Completely, and I think you know I understand where you're coming from because there are some people who have come up with this counter narrative of what Harris and Klebold were like, and it's untrue. Um, right. I've seen Harris portrayed as, you know, the amongst the most popular kids in the school. It, it's not true. It's absolutely absurd so, to say that. So why do you think there's this counter narrative then? Oh, I think they wanted something. They wanted to write something different. They wanted a hook. They wanted an angle. Um, it's hard to say, you know, why exactly they did that. But um, it's patently false. Hmm. So, so have you have you dug pretty deep into their lives to Harris and Klebold and their growing up, upbringing and family life and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I spent ten years doing it, and I found items nobody else found. What were like, some? Um, yeah, what were some of the biggest things you uncovered? Uh, Klebold's college application and his personal essay wow. as part of that, and you know, like in that essay, he says, "Oh yeah." You know, I had some troubles. I, I, you know, I may have been on the wrong path. And this is written like two, three months before Columbine. Um, he's saying, yeah, I may have been on the wrong path, but I, I've tur- I want to turn my life around or I've turned my life around now. I'm, I'm going to be a good guy. Wow. <laughs> so what's your what's the theory behind the letter? Do you think he was just writing that with his fat with his mother and father sort of in mind or? Yeah, yeah, that's possible. I think at that point, now they had planned this for about a year. So, but I think that when you're maybe two or three months out before the shooting, um, it could still go either way. Right. And, and actually, what's even more sort of intense than that is remember, Eric Harris was signing up for the Marines like weeks before the shootings. I mean, he was down to the wire, it may have been just a week or two before the shootings that he was rejected from the Marines, but he was still an active, that much an active play to join the Marines. So I think, you know, in this case, you're getting down to the wire of the shootings, but it's like it could still go either way, could have been part of it. It wasn't just to placate the parents. Um, I think if anything had, you know, any of these things had changed, if um, something had happened on the college level, if he had been, if Eric had been accepted into the Marines, um, you know, history could have been changed. Why didn't he get accepted to the Marines? I think it was they, oh, he was, um, <laughs> so, it, I mean, I laugh because it's just such a, a sort of weird situation, but the Marine recruiter, it had gotten pretty intense in the re- recruitment par- process. He was pretty far down the road. And he, the Marine recruiter went for a home visit. And uh, during the home visit, his mom walks down the stairs 
and says, oh, by the way, Eric is on these medications. Will that um, prevent him from going into the Marines? And they were, you know, pretty intense medications for, um, I think it was obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm. And the recruiter's like, oh, yeah, this yeah was, that's this, awful. This was Luvox, right? Yeah, that's what, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and which is, um, you know, that's considered a, a pretty serious psychiatric medication. Yeah. And the recruiter is like, nope, we, we can't let somebody in the Marines um, with who's on that medication. Uh, you know, it was like, you, you can get back to us maybe in a year or two. I forget what the exact timeline was, but you can get back to us in like a year or two. And if he's off the meds, uh, we can talk then, but that's a disqualifier right there. Wow. Okay. Can I just, um, can we just go back a bit though? Cause uh, I'm, I'm just interested because of all the research I've done, Jeff, that wasn't, wasn't either Eric or, or Dylan caught scratching fag into someone's locker and weren't they into kind of Nazi, uh, like Hitler, German stuff, Nietzsche, and and all that. I mean, I I, I think I, I'm sure that I, I don't know what to say, Jeff. Really, but I, I just thought that they perhaps weren't as innocent as, uh, and they perhaps weren't the the bullied guys that that we all think them to be. But uh, I'm hearing a different different narrative from you, which which is which is really interesting. And obviously, you, you've done you've done the research, so. I mean, what what do you think to that? Is is it true that they were caught scratching fang into somebody's locker, or or is that again yeah, that, something made up? No, that was Dylan. Okay. Um, and he had a beef with somebody. They it was over a girl. I I think I'm, I don't recall exactly why he had done that, but um, yeah, I mean, they were, and and. Eric especially was into Nazism and whatnot, but, um, you know, that those things, they did those things from a place of weakness because they felt excommunicated from the rest of the school and the rest of society. Um, and yeah, they certainly would have liked to be more dominant and more popular and have more power, but they didn't. And that's why they worship the Nazis. Yeah. You know, because they're, they're seen as a, a symbol of power and maybe a symbol of outsider sort, sort of power. Um, so but yeah, they were they were outcasts. They couldn't get dates. I mean, OK, so, well, Eric couldn't get a date to the prom. Dylan did, but it was with his friend. Um, but yeah, they, they couldn't get dates. And that's what Eric writes about ad nauseum throughout his diaries, how girls won't talk to him. They won't go out with him. Um, you know, he did have like a, a couple dates here and there, but you know, they, they were not living the lives they wanted. And so the timeline of this is kind of interesting to me. So they pulled this off. I think it was April 20th. Is that right? Yeah. So that's towards the end of, and this is their senior year at Columbine high school. Correct. So do you think that's kind of significant? Like they had come to the end of their senior year and it's all kind of culminating and they've got nothing like positive going for the next step in their life. 
Is that did that kind of come to a head? You think with it happening at the end of their senior year? Well, Willie, when would the dance be? Would that be right around that time? So the the dance that Jeff's talking about that this is going to be before April, right? In I don't know or around that time. Okay. Yeah. So, right. so conceivably, then Willie, they they this this duo would have been split up. One of them would have been going to college at least, and the other one would have been right. In and, hometown, right? Yeah, and, and I just think it's interesting that it happened right at the end of their high school career that they, you know, that's when they took the matter into their hands. What do you think on, on the significance of, like, the timeline of, of their life, um, Jeff? Yeah, I, I do think that's significant. Um, so there's a couple things there, and, and this might be actually more more of a connection with the end of the school year. So Waco... The, the Waco siege in Texas, if you, you know, you guys are familiar with that, right? Sure. Yeah. The, the, the cult that the FBI raided. Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was April 19th. Janet Reno. Yeah, right. That was April 19th was the, the anniversary of that event. And that was also seen as a marker for them. Um and they may have meant to do it on the 19th. They never actually specified the exact day in the writings like, hey, it's going to be April 20th. But there's an indication they had actually meant it to be on April 19th to coincide with Waco. Mm -hmm. Sort of, you know, another. so what they were going to carry out was a, an anti-government, you know, revenge sort of thing. Right. Um. But I do think there is another issue going on with it being the end of the year, um, which is that it was sort of their last chance yeah. to get the revenge. And they were getting revenge on society and they were getting revenge on the society they knew, which was Columbine High School. And it was one of their last chances before the school year ended. Yeah, I mean, Harris himself was was a real piece of work, wasn't he, Jeff? He 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 described in his journals how he how he wanted to rape freshman women, right? I think if if he didn't if he didn't uh, like carry out this massacre and um, you know shoot himself, I'm sure he himself would have turned out to be a real nasty piece of work, right? He, he was he was really a, a messed up kid. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I guess you could argue maybe the military might have been able to channel that anger into um, a good fighter. But they do say that um, psychopaths actually, they, they, they don't have enough discipline yeah. to, mm. to carry through. Um, but, you know, that's a good point you bring up. You know, he did, Eric did talk about, um, I think it was dismembering women and tearing them apart. This is not coming from a guy who is very popular in school. Yeah. Now, now that you say it, yeah, it's kind of ringing true to me. I mean, he, he would have been the next Dharma or something, wouldn't he? I'm sure. Yeah. So, let, I'm, I'm intrigued. Who, who, was the, who was the leader out of these two? Who do you think sort of initiated this? Well, Harris. Ha Harris was definitely the leader. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Jeff, I, I don't mean to... Uh, to steal your thunder there, but uh, ha I mean Harris basically interviewed quite a few kids, right? I mean, there's the there's the infamous um, 
scene from the bowling club where where he asked some kid if he'd ever uh, thought about killing jocks, right? And and this kid didn't seem to fit his uh, his ideal partner, so so he kind of moved on. And you wonder how many, just how many kids he deci- he, he actually spoke to. But I, I think, well, I hope I hope Jeff will confirm that Harris was certainly the ringleader, wasn't he? I think Eric's anger burned hotter. Um, Eric pushed the ball down the field harder to, to do it, but to do the act. But, you know, Dylan, the, the first, if you look at their writings, the first person to mention a school shooting on the timeline of the writings is Dylan. And, you know, Dylan wrote an essay in class and this, it got to the level where the teacher showed it to his parents and said, you know, I'm concerned, but Dylan wrote an essay, um, for one of his classes talking about shooting up a club and shooting the jocks, you know, and watching the blood spill out and reflect on the, the, uh, street lights. So, you know, Dylan had a lot of anger too. Man, that's really, so, so they both kept journals, like, like there's writing from both of them that you were able to, or that people have gone, gone back and, and they wrote about stuff like this. Both. Of oh them? yeah. Man, that's oh, yeah. Yeah. just such abnormal behavior for for a teenager. <laughs> well, I, th- I, th- I think the journal thing is normal, but it's the content of the journals, isn't it? That's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the basement tapes as well, Jeff. The, uh, I mean, we've. I think you can see on YouTube at the moment a lot of tapes about. Uh, you can see them walking through school and and playing silly buggers, but the basement tapes. I think at the moment they haven't been released, but you can. There's some. Uh, there's some transcripts you can find online, and I, I think they were quite telling, weren't they? Uh, those basement tapes, along with their, uh, along with their journals. Oh yeah, I mean the basement tapes. I mean, they, you know, especially, but the journals too. They were drafts of the shooting. I mean, they were planning it out for how long? Do I you mean, think? they had drawings of themselves with, you know, in like vests with, you know, little cricket bombs attached to the vests and how they'd be armed. Uh, yeah. I mean, they planned it out. How long did they plan? Like for, w- w- from inception to carrying it out? It was about a year. That's crazy. And nobody was onto them in, 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 in any. Well, a, actually a lot of people were onto them. Um, and I could start with the sheriff. The sheriff drew up a draft affidavit for a search warrant to search Eric Harris's home. This is also about a year before the shootings. And the deputy actually went to Harris's neighborhood, um, walked around the neighborhood, observed his house, talked to neighbors. They had connected Harris preliminarily at that point or allegedly to a pipe bomb somebody had found in a field. Um, So they were on to Harris. And, you know, to get back to Brooks Brown who, interestingly, the sheriff accused him of being complicit with Eric and Dylan. Brooks Brown's parents had been the ones who had been pestering the sheriff for at least a year to investigate Harris and Klebold. They had seen some of the writings, and they said, these kids are dangerous. They're going to hurt somebody. Wow. And the sheriff never followed through with the search warrant for Eric Harris's home. So this gets back to another thing, like if Eric Harris had been accepted to the Marines, if the Jefferson County Sheriff had executed a search warrant on Eric Harris's home 
at any time before the shooting. I mean, even if Eric hadn't been arrested, even if they they had executed the search warrant. Hey, this is Mickey, and I'm proud to announce a brand new sponsor. <laughs> so emotional. Uh, they are called NextPak. N-E-X-T-P-A-K-K. So what are they? They're like a blockchain-based delivery service that's transforming, yes, transforming last mile logistics through a scalable sharing economy. I mean, when you order a package, don't you ever worry that you're not going to be in to receive it or that they're going to leave it on your doorstep and some gypsy's going to come and steal it from you? Or We've all seen the videos, haven't we, online of these package thieves. It's, it's a real problem. So NextPack basically solves this by utilising blockchain technology, that's blockchain technology, to track packages while protecting customer identity and ensuring timely delivery. So NextPack will use sharing economy similar to like Lyft or Uber or Airbnb. Um, so individuals can earn income, additional income, in packet tokens on their free time by receiving and delivering packages. So if you've got a small shop, for example, you, you can it can be a little bit of a hub for, for you know, say, say you own the local bakery in, in a small village. And, um, well, you, you can basically o- open that up and, and start receiving packages for people and, and, and earn a little bit of extra dollar, a little bit of extra bread, excuse the pun. Um, so, yeah, I, I like it. I, I really do like it. Uh, so, so you can receive packages and, and if you choose, you, you can actually deliver them as well. So, <sighs> customers will be able to schedule deliveries basically within a one-hour window so it's super, um, super precise, super precise. So I'll share with you a couple of stats, right? E-commerce is a $2.4 trillion industry in 2018 and growing. 30% of Americans have reported package theft and 35% of Americans ship packages to alternate addresses to avoid theft. Next pack solves all this, their ICO, uh, on oh no, sorry, their coin offering is live. They have 4.5 out of 5 expert rating on ICO bench. Go and check them out at nextpack.com, N-E-X-T-P-A-K-K.com. And go and check out the website. They're doing airdrops at the moment um, for all sorts of things. Uh, the, the, all, all the instructions, you can find them on Twitter. Um just let me find out what their Twitter is. I should have had this prepared. I am very sorry indeed, sir. Very sorry indeed, sir. Yeah, so just while I'm logging on. Here we are, next pack. Okay, N-E-X-T. Okay, at next pack. At N-E-X-T-P-A-K-K. So if you go to their Twitter handle, it gives you all the instructions about how to receive uh, packer tokens. So, yeah, this is our sponsor. Brand new, shiny sponsor, next pack. Love it. Go and check them out. Hey, so welcome back. So uh, the Sheriff's Department, Jeff. Yeah, so they had a draft affidavit for a search warrant um, for Eric Harris's home about a year before the shooting. Um, And so basically that draft affidavit, you need to bring it before a judge to make it into a bonafide search warrant that would allow you to search Eric Harris's home. 
the deputy investigating the case never brought it before a judge. Um, and some of the information surrounding that draft affidavit disappeared after the shootings. Um, the deputy's best answer at the end of the day after years of investigation was, well, that draft affidavit just fell to the bottom of the pile of all my other work and I never got to it. Wow. Which is, uh, you know, doesn't seem like a full-fledged answer. But I think my other point is, you know, getting back to like, if Eric Harris had been accepted into the Marines, if the sheriff's department had executed that search warrant on Eric Harris's home, um, Columbine could have been averted. And, you know, it's like, it's not even that they would have had to arrest Eric Harris based on that search warrant, but if the sheriff's deputies had just showed up at his house and said, hey, we have some suspicions that uh, – you set off a pipe or you had a pipe bomb and you've done some violent writings on the internet. Um, we're not going to arrest you, but watch out. We're watching you. If even that had happened. Yeah. I think there's a, a high likelihood in my opinion that Columbine would have been averted. Wow. Yeah. That is, a, you know, like a small little butterfly effect. If just one or two things would have gone differently, the whole thing could have been averted. But exactly the same yeah, thing so happened with the recent Florida shooting, right? Uh, I can't remember his name now. I was trying to look up. That's why the phone went. I was trying to look it up. But um, he he was on multiple people's radars. And a right. lot of people, in fact, the FBI even went to uh, investigate him. And it sounds like exactly the same mistakes were, were not repeated because this was a, a long time before. But... I don't know. Well, it seems like the mistakes just ha just seem to happen again and again. People well, people uh, know that something's wrong. They 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 see these kids and they see that there's an issue, and and nobody does anything about it. Yeah. Well, you know, you're right. Now, what happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School? That's like maybe even Columbine times ten. The number of warnings and the number of you know, calls to the FBI, to really? authorities. Wow. Um, that I agree with you. Um, but you know, I did an afterward, a new afterward to, um, my book about 10 years ago on the 10 year anniversary. And I used the example of a school shooting that was averted. Right. And I guess you could argue, well, we never know if something was really averted because it didn't happen. You know, we, st right. we stopped it from happening. Can't and, prove a and negative. The suspect, yeah. The suspects will say, well, we weren't going to do it anyway. We were just kidding. Um, but you know, people do report and they are averted. Um, so it, it can happen. You can stop a school shooting or a mass shooting. Um, what happened in Florida at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas is also an example of how even when everything does go right, as far as people reporting the warning signs, uh, it, it didn't happen. It didn't work out. It fell through a million holes. Yeah. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't think it's an important point. I don't think people should give up yeah. just because thing, the, the system failed in that instance. I think reporting the warning signs of a mass shooter is 
the best way to prevent a mass shooting. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's so what the is, solution? Any? So, sorry, Willie. What is the protocol though? Like, if you're going to, if you have a kid and uh, you're not going to arrest him, what? Yeah. What can you really do to take? you know, take everybody out of harm's way. Exactly what I was just going to say. You can't just arrest every kid who, every brooding teenager who's, who's like down on life and who writes a few shitty things in a journal right, because yeah. it, then you're going to be arresting 50% of the bloody population. There's got to be some some way of, of weeding out the real psychopaths from, from the people who are just pretenders. Man. There's got to be some way like Jeff, hasn't there? And we can't just start uh, arming school teachers and, and having metal detectors in all the schools and, and having security guards. There's got to be another way around this. There, there must be. Yeah, well, you know, you, you, it's a great point that you bring up. So you don't arrest every brooding teenager. Um, I don't, I, I guess you can't say in this realm it's a science, but, you know, you look at things like a lot of people say, you know, I'm, I'm mad at, that guy, okay, all right, so that's one thing. You don't arrest somebody based on that. Somebody says, I'm mad at that guy, I want to kill him. Okay, well, you know, you've just ramped it up a bit. Mm. Um, we've all said it, haven't we? We've all said it. I'm going <laughs> to kill that bastard. I've said it a million times. I'm sure you've said it a million times. It doesn't mean you're going to do it. Right, so, so you look at the tone, you look at the totality of someone's other behavior, does he say, I want to kill that guy? And then does he suddenly start buying guns? Mm -hmm. Okay, you've just ramped it up to another level that maybe would trigger, if not an arrest, maybe a visit from police. And that's sort of, you know, that's what I'm saying about the sheriff's department and the search warrant. Even if they had executed that search warrant and not arrested Harris, just showing up at his door and saying, hey, bud, we're watching you. Yeah. That could have a huge effect. Especially on a okay. teenager, you know? Right, right. But so let's let's go forward. Let's say somebody says, I want to kill that guy. And then he starts buying guns. And then he says something like, I'm going to kill that guy next week when he gets out of his car after he gets home from work. Okay, so that specificity has just ramped it up to another level. So you sort of look, you know, it's not just, you know, hey, did somebody – was somebody brooding? Did somebody say, I want to kill that guy? But you got to look at the totality of their behavior. Um, and if there's other triggers and, you know, just how they say it. Do yeah. they seem like it's a, an aside or how serious do they seem? So when it gets to those certain levels, namely of specificity or other actions like buying guns, that would trigger an arrest. That would trigger a visit from police. Yeah. But I, I do see how it's possible that this kind of thing does occasionally slip through the cracks. Well, yeah, yeah, like with you're saying with Columbine and Stoneman Douglas. Yeah, or just school, school shootings in general. Is it, it's not really an exact science. You know, there's a lot of subjectivity to kind of determining somebody's, you know, how much malice or whatever it is they actually have in their words that I can see how with in a nation of 350 million people or whatever, how this does occasionally slip through the fingers, slip through the cracks. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, it's going to happen, but it doesn't mean it's still not a great solution right. yeah. when it works. Right. And it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't mean stop trying. doesn't yeah. mean. And kids talk shit, Willie, don't yeah. they? Well, I talk shit at my school. Everybody talks shit and, 
it, I think as Jeff was saying, it, it's like what you've got to do is put a two or three right. uh, actions together. Like, okay, he's talking shit, and then he goes to buy a gun, and then he does this. Yeah, this. that makes so, sense. Uh, but yeah. uh, also, like, writing in your journal some of the specific things that Jeff mentioned that these guys wrote, that's not normal behavior, you know? That That's beyond talking shit, I think. No, psychopathic. Yeah. Definitely. Right. So, d- Jeff... Um, they bought their guns, right? Uh, uh, well, let's step back a bit. They worked at a pizza shop, right? C- can you? Can we just go back to that? They worked at a pizza shop. They were with their boss, and I think the boss at their pizza shop bought the bought the guns at some kind of gun fair, right? No, so so they had four. They each had two two guns, so four altogether. Yeah. Three of the guns were bought by Klebold's actually prom date, who I, I had referenced before, and his, not his romantic girlfriend, but a friend. Um, three, she bought three of the four guns for them at a gun show legally in Colorado. Right. What kind of guns were they? transferred the guns to them. Like semi-automatic? No, rifles. Rifles. <coughs> and she had the no- semi-automatic they bought from... They had a contact through the pizza shop to a guy who sold them the semi-automatic. Okay. Okay. Did yeah. she have any idea what she was doing? Do you, do you have any context for why she bought them guns? Uh, that's like the $64,000 question. Um, uh-huh. She was never <laughs> prosecuted. You know, the, she she testified before the state legislature. There was an investigation. Um, you know... She'll say stuff like, yeah, you know, they never, they never, um, I never saw them fire guns before and suddenly they wanted three guns, but, you know, I just thought whatever. Wow. So it's never been, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, could they have never been shown that she specifically knew, you know, it's never been proven that she knew that they were going to use the guns to. Don't know what's going on in her head, but could they have gotten the guns at the gun show without her help? Uh, I'm trying to, I, I don't think they could have cause they were not, they might not have been 18 yet. Oh, uh, okay. Senior in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way I heard it is that they were literally walking around the gun show with, with the, with the enabler, whoever bought the guns and saying, pointing to this one saying, I want this one. I want this one. I want this one. And then th- they would buy them the guns. It, just sounds mad That's i mean th- this loophole in in america for this this gun show loophole it still exists to this day right jeff the, this gun show loophole it now in colorado they had changed the law that you can you need to perform a background check thank god for a private sale which is essentially a gun show sale um but and just to jump back, you know, at the gun show, they interviewed the gun deal. I think they tracked down all three guns that were purchased at the gun show to one or two dealers. And, you know, they did interview the dealers and the dealers were like one or two of them said it's pretty clear that the guns were for the boys. Mm. Yeah. yeah. In that sense, the, like Eric or Dylan were like, yeah, we want that gun. But the the friend purchased them. Yeah. God, gun shows. Imagine wanting to go to a gun show. Just can't relate, huh? <laughs> but well, what what interests me, though, is that 
the the guns actually, uh, Jeff, weren't the primary uh, source of destruction that that Klebold and Harris had, had dreamed up. Right, the 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 bombs were really, they were really the the sort of yeah the, the, yeah. I the, read the, that they were the primary. A bombing things. gone wrong turned into a shooting. Was one yeah, interpretation I, I, that I, I read. I think the bombs didn't go off right, and it, and if the bombs had gone off, then it would have been. Ten times, five times, ten times is worse than it was. Yeah, they. I think they wanted a Timothy McVeigh sort of uh, style bombing, didn't they? Yeah, I. Th- I think they referenced McVeigh as well. I think they. Yeah, I think so. What do you think right, about the bombs? Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma City was April nineteenth, also. Wow. The Oklahoma City bombing. Interesting wow. symbolism. So they were. They were building upon that, but yeah, if the bombs had gone off at Columbine High School, I mean. We'd be talking about hundreds dead. Wow. But, you, you know, and for, for what it's worth to, you know, sort of the more gruesome twist to that is, well, why did they have guns then? Because their plan was to set off those bombs and which would have could have killed hundreds. And then anybody who survived who was running out of the school, they were going to yeah. mow down with their guns. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Is that a nervous laugh? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's foster the people, isn't it? Pumped up kicks. Yeah. Uh, all the all the kids with the pumped up kicks. You better run, better run out on my gun because they. Oh, it's chilling. Yeah, it, it is. It really so, is chilling. So, what happened with the bombs then? I mean, did did they make the bombs? Did they place the bombs? Did some of them go off? What what, what happened, Jeff? Okay, so there. I guess the the bombs. I mean, you could argue. I guess there were a couple types of bombs. They had some propane tank bombs. They placed them. I mean, they built them. Obviously, um, there was a problem with the fuse, and they didn't go off. Um, they tried shooting them to make them go off during the course of the shooting, and they still didn't go off. Um, and then they had these little like uh, pipe bomb, cricket bombs on them that they tossed around the school. So those were, you know, fairly harmless compared to the propane bombs. Um, but that's the, the bombs didn't go off. They didn't, thank God they didn't make them well enough. Yeah. Cause we would have been talking two or three times the, the body count that we actually had. Yeah. Well, much more. So, you know, yeah. there were 13 who, who died. And then if you had the two shooters, that's 15, but, um, if the bombs had gone off, it would have been hundreds. Yeah. And where did they learn to make the bombs? Was this Eric Harris just perusing the internet? Stuff like that. Yeah. Man. Well, what, what I want to, what I want to get across to our listeners, Jeff, is that these, these, sometimes these school shooters, are they're sort of deified, aren't they? And, and they're, I, I don't know why, but they seem to get a lot of attention. But Harris and Klebo were were losers, weren't they? They were idiots. I mean, even in the basement tapes, the, there's one particular scene where I think it was Harris was uh, he had his uh, full length leather jacket on, and uh, he had his gun inside his jacket, and he was saying, "Oh, this gun makes me look a little bit fat." It's just <laughs> it, it just it just shows you how fucking vain they were and how silly they were as people uh, and and i think that's what we want, need to get across is that, that these weren't cool guys these weren't guys that that 
these were not heroes. They were they were idiots. They were vain little idiots, right? Um, I, yeah. I mean, I don't. You, they they were losers. I mean, they mm. were they were outcasts mm. in the school. Is what they were, and um, yeah, they showed they showed some. They were teenagers. They so showed some bizarre tendencies like that, you know. Um, they were not people to be deified, but you know, neither are the Nazis, and you know, people still the, the way Eric and Dylan worship the Nazis, and the same way people now worship Eric and Dylan. It's you know, people who see them as powerful, even though. You know, with Eric and Dylan, their actions came from a lack of power they had. They wanted to get revenge on people for not giving, for not dating them, for not recognizing them as cool people. In stepping into the, that day that it happened, April 20th, in all the time you spoke with people that were there that day, what did they talk about as far as uh, Dylan and Eric's like comportment while they were carrying out the attack? Like, how were they acting? What were the things that they were doing? Yeah, in fact, w Willie uh, and Jeff, would you mind if we started right at the beginning of the day? I mean, how how did they start the day, Jeff? Um, did they have breakfast with their family as normal and, and then and then disappear off to the school? C can you paint a picture for us? Well, there there is there is a a, a notation or a, a comment that Klebold's mom made that. He left for school that day and she said bye. I, you know, it might have been his dad. I, I can't recall now whether it was mom, his mom or his dad. And they said they sensed something was wrong in Dylan's voice when he said bye that day and left for school. And I, maybe it was his dad. He said something like he made a mental note to speak with Dylan about it later that day when he got home from school or at some point he was he wanted to speak with dylan about that catch in his voice he heard that morning he, he sensed something was wrong wow that's interesting to hear isn't it that, that oh man even his dad knew that there was something wrong he could sense it and yeah okay so they, they have breakfast and then disappear off to school what happens next so they 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 go to the school in their cars they park their cars um, and they go in and they place the bombs in the cafeteria, the propane bombs in the cafeteria. And why did they do that? Because they had set the bombs to go off at a certain time and they set them off to go at a time because they had been observing the flow of people in the cafeteria to figure out when the most people would be in the cafeteria. Yeah. So they, they had the bombs timed to go off at a certain point. Um, they placed them in the cafeteria. They went back to their cars and they're, they're waiting for the bombs to go. Well, and then they come across Brooks Brown, um, who's their longtime on again, off the ground, off again friend. And we, we only have Brooks's account of what happened. But um, Brooks says, you know, what are you guys up to or something? And Eric says, today is not a good day to be at school. Wow. And Brooks Brown is sort of a slacker guy. I, I think he's into he's a smart guy, but he's sort of a slacker, doesn't like school. Um, so he's a, he's always looking for an excuse to ditch 
So he's like, oh, this is a good excuse to cut school. And uh, he leaves the school ground. So there's that thing that happens. Um, so, you know, they're waiting for the bombs to go off and then to mow down the people when they come running out of the school after they survive these horrible bomb attacks and the bombs don't go off. So, you know, they've got, they've each got two guns already and, um, they sort of make the decision on the fly at the moment. Well, we're just going to turn this into a full blown school shooting. I mean, we're just going to start shooting. And so they're up on a little hill outside the school and um, I think it's first lunch is, is kids are outside on the grass. You know, some of them are outside on the grass eating lunch or, or smoking or, you know, going to have a smoke or something. Um, and they start shooting people. Okay. Jeff, I mean, that's it. They, can we just uh, stop there for a moment? So, okay. They're both there. What gun? What guns have both of them got? Uh, they've got a couple each, right, or, or one each. Can you just tell our listeners exactly what have they got at this point? Yeah, so they've got um, tw- two 12-gauge shotguns, and they have a, a semi uh, – I think it actually – I'm trying to remember. It's It may be – it's okay. It's okay. We, we don't need to know exactly, but uh, at least a shotgun each and, and some other stuff, right? And a, a, a Tech 9 semi-automatic yeah, okay. is, the, is the other one. Yeah. Right. Um, and, I mean, they, they, start, they start firing. It's not – they're not really targeting anybody specific like jocks at this point. Um they're they're just shooting at who's ever out there. Yeah. So this is about eleven fifteen, right, in the morning. I think it's about it's more like yeah, eleven nineteen, eleven twenty. Okay. So is, they is, just start opening fire on 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 the on the kids. Okay. Um, yeah, and. Yeah. Sorry, Jeff. Go on. They they just they eventually they go into the school and they just keep going. Um. Now, eventually, and they're, they're going through the school. It could have been a lot worse. I mean, they're both armed. They're, they could have easily mowed down more kids, and they don't. Um, they find their way to the library, and um, that's where most of the killings take place. Uh, by the time they get there, kids are starting to scram, and there's a library in there too, starting to scramble under tables and whatnot. And that's where things get, you know, as far as what they were like that day or what they did, that's where things get really methodical and, you know, more gruesome in the sense of they're, they're taunting people. Um, there's the famous, there's the famous story. They asked the one girl, do you believe in God? She says, she says, yes, I do. They say, why? She says, because my parents taught me to, and they shoot her. Oh now, she survives. Actually, yeah, she lived. Yeah, she Never wrote a book. Story. Right? Yeah, she wrote a book. Well, no, actually, that's so. That's that was another myth. The one who wrote that book, um, she said yes, as in yes, she believes okay. in God. She wasn't the one who said that. Okay, all right. It it was another girl who survived who had that exchange with Harris. Um, I think it was Harris, but the one who wrote that book, 
Cassie Brunel, well, her parents wrote the book. Cassie died. Cassie's not the one who sh- who had that exchange mm. about God. Damn the mainstream media. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's a, it took time to piece things together. Um, and that's not really the mainstream media. That's the publishing company. Yeah. That's the book publishing company. But is, is it right, Jeff, that, that they arbitrarily said to some kids, uh, okay, uh, you go, okay, you die. They, they trained their gun on some people and said, okay, bang, you're dead. And then they put their gun on some people and said, mm, oh, no, okay, you go. It was, it was that sort of arbitrary. It wasn't like they, they targeted a certain cultural uh, group, a certain ethnicity or anything. It, was, it just seemed so random. You're right. It was. Now, at one point, um, I think, again, I think it was Harris. He said, you know, all the jocks stand up or all the people with white hats, which was, you know, the type of baseball cap jocks wore, all the people with white hats stand up. And nobody did, but there was a sense of they wanted to go after the jocks. Um, They wanted to go after the popular people. But, you know, you could also make this argument. The jocks and the popular people aren't necessarily known as the people who flock to the library. Yeah, good point. Right. Those are those are the quote unquote geeks and studious people. So they're already sort of going without any rhyme or reason. And yeah, to follow up directly on your question, there was no real rhyme or reason as to who they shot and killed in the library. It was whoever they happened to come across, whoever caught their eye. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason necessarily as to who died and who lived. It was how good of a shot either one of them were at that moment, whether they hit a vital organ or not, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, whether they hit somebody's arm versus their heart. It it was, you know, ran, random in so many ways. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the stories I recall from the library is they came across – they were just – people were hiding on their tables and they they – pull out a chair and start a dialogue with them. And they came across a guy they knew. I think this was maybe Dylan. And they're like to their, their old buddy or something. What are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just sitting here under the table. And they said, get out of here. And the guy says he ran as fast as he ever ran when they let him go. Wow. Fuck. That is crazy. So how long were they in the library? It was about 30 or 45 minutes. That's a long time. That a long That's a long time. Yeah, that is. Yeah. It, it seems like very calm, though. I mean, even the, the footage that you see, you know, that they, they, they were they're just very sort of just walking through. Mm. And I often wonder, you know, if, 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 the, if they premedicated themselves or if it's just this, this, this sort of... Uh, they're God now. Nobody can touch them, and yeah. they, they've got this sort of almighty status. Well, well Harris, Harris, it's fucking and, creepy man. And again, Jeff, I, I feel like I've said a couple of things on this episode that weren't quite true. So please, please uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, I heard that that Harris was really—he uh, actually got bored with the whole thing and started rifling through people's lockers because he was just that. He, it just bored him. You know, he got 30 or 40 minutes in. It was, he just wasn't interested anymore. And he started, you know, fucking vandalizing people's lockers and stuff. Is, is this right? Well, I, I don't 
recall, I mean, we don't know what he was thinking, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I, I do think there's something there because there's another thought too, is after they went to the library, they went around to all these classrooms and they were knocking on the doors and stuff. And, um, they could have barged into a lot of other classrooms. They could have killed a lot more people in the library alone. Right. Um, but getting back to the whole powerlessness thing, I think they realized, you know, in the midst of all this killing, nothing had changed in their lives. They were still the same people. Mm. You know, it, it really didn't change mm. things. It didn't have they the were effect people. they wanted. I mean, so they, this they, they were very numb in that. They were sort of very numb to all of it. You think that? The, the, you think they were numb? Well, I mean, I don't know about you, Jeff, but if I was rocking around a school uh, with with a sawn-off shotgun, um, I don't know. There'd be a certain amount of adrenaline pumping, and you know, you you can only imagine. Um, but but you're saying, and what you're saying as well, Mike, is that it, it could it have almost been an anticlimax for them in a way. Yeah, that 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 is what I'm saying in a sense that nothing had changed in their lives. They were still powerless, really. Yeah. So one thing I'm, I'm struggling to get around is where were the police for 40, 30, 40, 50 minutes? Right. So there was a SWAT team that had entered the school about 30 minutes after. And I, I don't think that SWAT team gets enough credit in the sense, I don't think they're really recognized for how quickly they went into the school. Um, but as now, now to, to set the scene for the school, the lights are flickering on and off. Um, there's, uh, there's alarms going off. So it's, you know, kind of deafening in there. Lights are flashing. Um, it's not an easy environment and we don't really know where Harris and Klebold are, right? Like nobody can necessarily pinpoint their movements. So the SWAT team enters the school and they're searching for them, you know, and it's a mess in there. There's backpacks, kids ran out of their shoes. Like they ran so fast their shoes came off. So there's shoes all over the place. Um, and it's just a mess in there and they just, there was a SWAT team, um, and there were more police massing outside, but at the time the pro it's changed, but at the time the protocol in an active shooter situation was, um, I, it, it seems laughable now, but the protocol at the time was surround the building. Don't let the shooter escape and talk him out. That's insane. I wow. didn't know that. That was the conventional wisdom back then. Columbine changed that. Yeah. Because obviously you're, these, you're not going to get these guys on a phone and talk them out. No. Definitely not. Mm. But, but for the poor kids inside, that's, uh, that's disastrous, isn't it? To be left inside with these psychopaths while, you know, the, the, the police officers and the SWAT teams are outside saying, okay, let's not enter yet. It's just... So do we do we know exactly how long they had circled the building and tried to talk them out of it? And were they just continuing, Dylan and Eric, to shoot and run amok inside? Yeah. Yeah, wow. until they killed themselves. And and do we know much about that? Like like 
their final moments, where they were exactly, how they did it? Well, they went back to the library and um, they took some shots at the police who were outside. Now, again, there also was a SWAT team inside going through the school, um, but hadn't come across Eric and Dylan yet. Um, So they went back to the library after sort of wandering around the school, trying to set off the propane bombs. um, And, you know, what were their thoughts at that point? Um, I think in addition to them seeing, hey, I'm still the same person. This, I'm not going to get a date now. I'm not going to join the Marines now just because I did this. Um, I think another thought in these situations, not only in Columbine but in general, is um, I'm not going to let them take me. I'm not going to let the police decide how this ends. You know, I'm going to end it myself. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in control now. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to end this. Nobody else is going to end it for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Like a form of control. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they both committed suicide, right? I think Klebold shot himself in the temple and uh, Harris shot himself in the mouth, right? And I think this was about an, roughly about an hour later, about eight minutes past 12 or something. That That's about right, yeah. Mm. So the whole thing just lasted about an hour, less than an hour. And yet, you know, this 55-minute or 50-minute thing, it's just rang through the corridors of schools for the last 20 years. It's, it, you know, such a short uh, and... I don't know. It's, yeah. it's just crazy. I got a question it's off crazy. of that. Is is Jeff, for you, when you started covering this, how quickly did you realize what the long-term implications of this story might become? Uh, that, that, that's a good question. Um, there were shootings that kept occurring, and I think um, now they were still – as I recall at the time, mostly school shootings, they hadn't expanded into the mass shootings, the, the frequency of mass shootings we're seeing today. But I think about a year or two after Columbine, I saw that they kept coming. And I'm like, this, I think if it hadn't been for 9-11 at the time in 2001, school shootings would have been studied more deeply. They would have been seen as a bigger uh, social problem, criminal problem, um, however you might classify it. But if it hadn't been for terrorism, I think school shootings and and probably eventually mass shootings would have been seen as a bigger problem earlier on. Now that's changed today. Um, But back right after Columbine, I just, I think terrorism overtook it for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was in Denver, Colorado. I was focused on school shootings, so I, I could see it was going to be continuing. Yeah, and it certainly has. Well, yeah, it, exactly, and it, it's morphed. And, and one of the things I say is that I feel, it's a grim thing to say, but I feel that the adults have learned from the kids. Huh. The I feel that if it hadn't, I really feel that if it hadn't been for Columbine, 
I'm not sure any of these mass shootings would be occurring today. I sort of feel the same way. Like this really kicked it all off. This was the event that really mm. opened those floodgates. Yeah, well, what, what, it, what it's like for me, Willie, is that b- before it happens, it's not in anybody's psyche, is it? Right. That this the, the concept and the thought about pulling off a high school shooting is not, it's not manifested itself, this this kind of uh, event. This, right, that style this or terror, vector. Yeah. Of, yeah. And as soon as one person does it, one person does a school shooting, exactly the same, Jeff. Like one person mows a load of people over in a car or in a, in a lorry. Suddenly, suddenly that's in people's, uh, in people's psyche and, you know, it's, it's in the public discourse then and, and then... It, it inspires open, people. Yeah it's, yeah, it's open season. It's interesting, the point yeah, that you make. You're exactly right. That, that well, and Columbine wasn't the first school shootings. There had been a few school shootings yeah. before Columbine, but they, didn't, they were not as deadly, and they didn't get the same amount of media attention. And Columbine put I, – I, I would – on the map. Yeah. I think uh, was it University of Texas? There was a there was a shooter there, right? Well, at, there was the church shooting. Yeah, I believe in Texas. No, the uni- UT University of Texas. Oh, oh you, right, right. Where, where yes, he's up in the that, bell tower, he's sniping down on them. I think that was uh, quite a famous case. But I mean, we've got the mass media, we've got the internet, we've got fucking uh, all of these sort of. Uh, SSRIs, so antidepressants, you know, we've got all of these sort of uh, factors coming in and it just is fucking insane, man. I think also the video of them in the, is it in the library? I think that was super powerful to taking this into something that became really tangible and something that you could see and yeah. feel. And, and also Cause you like, can feel that terror in a silent video yeah, of them yeah. doing almost nothing other than walking with a gun. And it's like the perfect moment of, 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 of like a multiple things coming together at the same point. So social media and the, the, the chance to see videos online, exactly. uh, the school shooting, uh, you know the 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 disenfranchised way people are feeling it all comes together in in a hot mess of right and just at the perfect time yeah you know i, I don't know jeff but that's how it se- yeah, seemed n- to me that it was just the perfect storm yeah and two points the video of them is in the cafeteria oh, okay it's yeah. not in the yeah, library yeah but and, and you're right there was the university of texas um shooting i think it was ut um, from the bell tower, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. And so, yeah, but I guess, you know, in more of a modern day sense, Columbine put mass shootings on the map. Uh, th- this was kind of, it's almost like a Hollywood blockbuster version versus a silent movie, Buster Keaton type production. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, right, th- this sort of elevated it just... Yeah. Where, where where people could study that you know grain by grain if if they wanted to, um, yeah man. So, do you still I, live? I would. I, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I no, that I agree with you, and I would even add this thought though. I think some mass shooters um, that, and again, I think they're all affected by combine, but they don't even know it. Like they don't even know 
why the idea of a mass shooting is in their head. It's because of Harris and Klebold. Um, they know that they want to get revenge on somebody or uh, prove a point, and they know the mass shooting is their ticket to do that. But they may not even know why the, why the mass shooting is the, the answer, but it's because of Columbine. How much of a factor do you think like the, the infamy and the media coverage that, that be, is bestowed on you if you pull off an event like this, how big of a motivating factor do you typically think that is? You know, Harrison Klebold did not write about that a lot. I mean, they, they wanted to surpass the body count of Oklahoma City, but they didn't really specify about being famous. Hmm. They, they wanted power over other people by killing them. Fame wasn't, you know, they didn't specify that. Hmm. And, um, you know, we've talked in some detail, obviously, about the gruesome things they did. And, you know, that's a pretty tough way to, to get fame. I mean, yeah. you got to really want fame to, to kill people at point blank range. Mm -hmm. Um, I, th I think that the motivation behind these mass shootings is much deeper and powerful than fame. And I don't know how you don't cover them as a reporter. Right. But what do you think about the idea of not giving the name? I mean, I always hear people talk about cover the victims. Don't cover the story of the person that, that pulled off the shooting because you're you're giving in to their desire, you know, hypothetically yeah, for uh, that fame. Do you think that holds any water, like, like going that direction? Well, I, you know, it's not that we, like in this podcast or in my book or in the, you know, hundreds of newspaper articles I wrote for the Rocky Mountain News and other papers, it's not like anyone's deifying Harrison Klebold there. Yeah. Nobody's saying they're great. I'm not saying they're great in anything I wrote. Mm. But they go so, down. But, in, but they go down in folklore, though. It's don't infamy they? more so than than deify, yeah. right? Like, and, and maybe if if Klebold and Harris weren't weren't that famous, the 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 high school shooters from then on, yeah. have certainly been more motivated by that. Yeah, potentially yeah. because they see what the outcome looks exactly. like. Exactly. And Willie, you're exactly right. What we've got to do is cut the names from public history. But, we've got to fucking forget the the idiots who do the shooting, push them out of the way, remember the victims and, and So you think that's the right way to go? Yeah. Yeah, if 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 a high school shooter knows that his name is never going to be mentioned, he's going to be forgotten, uh he's going to be forgotten into the aeons of history, then I, I think that's the right thing to do. But I think Jeff would argue that that's not the biggest motivating factor for most of these guys. True. But, yeah. it, but it might be a 10% but it, it factor. Could be. But yeah. What do you think about that idea, Jeff? If the media colluded together to not, you know, really spout off about the person's name or background that committed yeah, the crime. I, I, I can't buy into that. I don't like it. I think the media's role is to investigate and be accurate and in-depth and prevent secrecy and prevent myths from cropping up. And by hiding the names of the killers, you can't, and it makes it harder to investigate them, mm -hmm. to find out what made them tick. Mm -hmm. um, and it allows people to build up myths 
and untruths I, I was just about about what to happened. say it, it sort of invokes the conspiracy theorists sort of coming in and and uh, and, and whipping things up doesn't and it, it yeah, yeah and it sort of like yeah it really ignites our desire of knowing who did it if nobody's going to talk yeah. about it's it like, don't stand on the grass Willie the first thing you want to do is stand <laughs> on the grass right <laughs> true <laughs> I, I, I've got a quick question I I wonder, do you, do you think they meant to kill themselves that day? Do you think they meant to commit suicide, given that the bombs were meant to go off, there's meant to be this huge explosion, and they were meant to be blasting people running out of the building? They do make some mentions that it, it could end in a, a suicide. They, they do allude to that in their writings, but um, I don't know that they had it finalized. I, I'm not sure they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from from what you said, it just seems as though they were just sort of making it up as they were going along, really, uh, you know, given that the first, the bombs didn't go off. Uh, yeah, that's very true. Okay. The okay. part that really sticks with me that you brought up earlier, too, is this kind of plan, it, it could have been on or it could have been off. You know, it's like <laughs> it could just go back and forth because, you know, none of us have ever made plans like this and you don't know what it's like to like execute that. But I just can't imagine how that, you know, the decision was made or to make it, you know, oh, today's the day, you know, I mean, it's just chilling yeah. to think about an 18 year old, 17 year old coming to that conclusion. Well, on that note, another interesting point down to the wire, they, it makes sense that they wanted it to be on the anniversary of Waco and Oklahoma city, but you know, they couldn't get the bullets. Hmm. Um, they were waiting for somebody to buy them the bullets. I think it was at Kmart. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was at Kmart. Um, and the thing was, the guy forgot to get the bullets like one day. So it like took an extra day. And so it ended up being on April 20th. But the irony is Eric at that point was 18 and he could have bought the bullets himself. He didn't realize he could even <laughs> buy the bullets himself. <laughs> they were waiting on somebody to do it. Dummy. Okay, but what if that guy had never bought him the bullets? Yeah. What if? What, what if? if? Right. So, so, Jeff, can you take us back to what do you remember about that day going to the high school to cover it? What are what are things that stick out for you about that day that it happened? Well, you know, I tell people that I've never covered a war zone as a reporter, but I feel that Columbine was otherwise as close as you could get to a war zone. Um, so you had the police tape up around the school. And we were some distance from the front door of the school. We were probably about a quarter mile um, from the front door of the school behind police tape. Um, but, you know, it feels like a war zone because you've got hundreds of police officers there. Um, but also just the emotion. Um, the, the the powerful emotions I remember because, you know, people didn't know, um, like, whether their sons or daughters had – or their neighbors or their dad had been killed or not. So you had people just massing at the school looking for their loved one and people would, like, spontaneously come across either the person they were looking for or somebody else – you know, like their neighbor, and they were just like breaking down in tears, hugging, wow. so happy this person wasn't dead. Um, I just remember a lot of emotion wow. like that, you know, people being reunited or just wandering 
um, you know, like in a, a fugue state, wow. you know, looking for somebody. Is, is this the, do you think this is the most sort of heartfelt and craziest case you've ever covered, Jeff? Or has there been anything like this hit you harder than this? No, it, it, it is the most heartfelt. And, you know, there's another interesting reason for that. Um, in in other mass shootings, like let's take Las Vegas, for example. Um, you know, people who were in, Las, in that shooting and who died were from all around the country, right? So the grief, in a way, is dispersed across the country Diluted, with all those yeah. families. Yeah. But at Columbine, all the victims were from there. Right. So the grief was all concentrated in that, mm. you know, not only in Columbine, but in that one little in not little necessarily, but in that one park next to the school where everybody was gathered that day. And you know, this even applies. Everybody who died was from that community. So the grief was very concentrated. Shooting up. Come back. Jeff, we're just getting a bit of a poor network connection at the moment. Are you there, buddy? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, well, you're back. You're back. Perfect. I'm sorry about that. If you can just maybe repeat the last couple of sentences, we missed you there, mate. What I was saying is that in other mass shootings, like let's take Las Vegas, for example, the victims were from places all around the country, if not the world. Yeah. And so the grief is dispersed across the world. The grief, I, I think, was much more intense at Columbine because all the victims, whether they were killed or injured were from that community. Yes. So you had all the grief, all the emotion was focused in that one place. Concentrated. Yeah. And uh, what I was saying, if it, I don't know when it cut off, but this is not to say, of course, that the grief of each individual family in every mass shooting is any less. But, you know, there's somebody grieving in India. There's somebody grieving in New York, in Los Angeles. But at Columbine, all the grief, all the people were there. Yeah. It was all concentrated. So there's an energy, isn't there, that surrounds that when, when multiple people experience the same thing. It, it really gives off a, a vibration, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's, I can say, you know, if I felt that sort of vibration. But, I mean, I get there was, it, it's a it's a intensity. The grief is focused on one geographic area. Mm. How big was the town? Columbine? Yeah. Um, it's actually not an official town. It's uh, what they call a census-designated place. So it's like an area people refer to, but it's not its own city mm. or town. Um, there's – I don't remember exactly. I mean there's maybe a few thousand people wow. in the Columbine you know, locale, if you want to call it that. I thought the town was sort um, of Littleton. Well, no, no, Littleton is is right next to Colum. It's a city that is right next to Columbine. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I mean, the the key example or the key point, for example, is that the Jefferson County Sheriff was the lead agency, mm. which means that the high school was located in unincorporated Jefferson County. There was no Columbine police force. There's no Columbine mayor or city council. It's just, you know, it's weird. It's like a place people know, yeah. but it's not an official government, you know, area. Man, I remember going to Denver, maybe, maybe I was in high school, maybe like 2005 or 2006 and driving sort of near there and seeing like a sign for Columbine or Littleton. It is just such a visceral memory, you know, as a kid growing up, just everybody knew that name, Columbine. Everybody knew Littleton. Everybody knew that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that town and that, that community was really put on the map by that sad, sad event. So, so how are things? How have things changed, Jeff and Willie? I mean, I'll ask you both because you're both American. Of, I mean, initially the the Goths got quite a bit of a rough deal, didn't they, Jeff? That that this was pinned on Goths really, where when Klebold and Harris weren't weren't really Goths at all. I mean, they had the trench coats, but but that was about it. So I I, I hear from multiple sources that Goths got a hard time afterwards. Uh, so that's just one thing, but the other thing is, is that obviously you've got metal detectors in school now, and you've got teachers or security guard, armed security guards on schools, and so they've changed things forever, haven't they? That if they wanted to elicit terror on the school children of America, that they certainly did a job, didn't they? They certainly left things in in people's uh, psyche, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, if you consider that. Every school shooting and mass shooting today ties back to Columbine. Yeah, I, it's especially happened in the past couple of years, though. I think it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's people are probably doing away with the comment, I never thought it could happen here. Yeah. Right. That doesn't ring true anymore. I, I almost notice nowadays it. It doesn't. I remember when Columbine happened. It felt absolutely extraordinary in, in an insane, a horrible way. It, it just felt like you're on another planet. And over time, it's gotten to the point where it feels too commonplace now. Like you read it so often, it's not mm. that shock value when there's a school shooting anymore. Yeah. 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 And so, why do you think it's intensified the past few years? Social media, maybe Jeff. I don't know. It, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I think it just might get back to the idea that more and more people see it as a solution to their problems, right? Um, they don't they don't like the way they've been treated. They're angry at their girlfriend or their wife. Um, they want to get back at quote unquote society. Uh, people just see this as their way of getting back. Yeah, there's that old adage, isn't there, about you losing at the game of chess. You just throw the board over. You just turn it over. You just turn the table over if you're losing. Uh, that seems what like what these people are doing. That They're not winning at life, so they just want to reset and they want to just ruin it for everybody, el- for everybody else. Yeah, exactly. And if I see you turn over a chessboard, I'm going to have to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, please. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's that's I would say that's it. Wow, man. So, this has been 
So, go on, Jeff, have you been? Have you been? Do you go back to uh, Columbine? Uh, are you in touch with you know any of the you know senior members of the community or maybe some family members? And you know how is it today? How has that affected Columbine today? I talk to people once in a while. Um, you know, I'll say. Let me say this. You know, some kids and and teachers. You know, they knew something was wrong. Like, you know, they ran out of the school very quickly that day. Like they heard something was wrong or they heard the gunshots or they just followed other people. And some people escaped from that school within seconds. Um, Other people were trapped in there for hours, you know, until the police realized the shooters had died and were able to rescue them. Um, So I think that whether you were at Columbine High School for you know, a few seconds that day or a few hours, your life will never be the same. I mean, it's going to be with you. I mean, the basic answer is it's going to be with you forever. Mm. And I even heard a story that the kids who didn't go to school that day for whatever, you know, they were sick or, you know, on a field trip or something, they actually felt that they couldn't connect with the kids who had been there that day, like the, you could, oh, wow. there yeah. was a certain level. You, you were in a, you were in that exclusive club, right? That, that, uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Wow. I mean, just imagine, just imagine this guys, just imagine being the, the principal of the school and you know, you're, you're a faculty head or a teacher, this massacre's happened and you've got to rebuild things. I mean, imagine just the... It's a long process, right? Fuck, man. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a testament to the human spirit, um, you know, that good overcoming evil. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it, for this very small-knit community that all came together, just, just imagine those, those days, those weeks, those months, and, you know, those years. Yeah. When... Yeah. Oh, as a head teacher, oh, all of the students that were here during the Columbine massacre, every single one of the students has left the school now. We have a completely fresh batch of students. I wonder what sort of a, a psychological effect that had, you know what I mean? All yeah. of these things that we don't hear about in the media, you know? So what sort well, of legacy is it had in Columbine, Jeff? What was that? Uh, what sort of a legacy is there now in Columbine? I mean, it, are things pretty somber? Are, th- are things, uh, have, have they moved on? Or is it forever sort of stained in, in the, you know, in the clothes of, of the residents of Columbine? Well, I mean, I, 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 at the school level, I mean, I've been back to school a couple few times to do stories and interviews and, you know, it is a normal school. I, I've had, I, I've interviewed like people who were um, basically tourists who came to look at the school or, you know, from other places. And they're like, I thought there'd be a black cloud over the school and, you know, it would look like a dungeon castle. And, you know, it's, you know, a sunny, normal looking high school. But, and I don't really, I don't have any basis in this, but I would imagine that every kid, who goes to that school 
over the years. And yeah, as you pointed out, you know, now the kids who are going there now weren't even born mm. when Columbine occurred. Um, I can't, I would imagine that every time you go to that school, it's in the back of your mind. This is where the Columbine high school shooting occurred. Wow. What a wonderful way to end this. Oh, man. I was just about to say that, and it's very rare for lightning to strike in the same place twice, you know. We hope so, so don't we? You know. Yeah. And the human spirit is, is an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. B- before you go, can you give us, let's ask for 30, 30 seconds on uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Just give us a couple of words, because we know you spent time with him, and I, we fucking love Hunter S. Thompson. He's one of our I, heroes. Just give us 30 I, seconds. I have a question so he can use All right, those. Jimmy, go on. What's your craziest Hunter S. Thompson moment? Yes. Yes, please. My craziest? Um, well... Hint, you I, can take longer than 30 seconds. <laughs> <sighs> no, well, on sort of more of a personal level, this is just a, a funny little thing. Um, you know, the, the, the Kentucky Derby is a big deal mm. for Hunter because he's from... The right, well, that was, that was his breakthrough story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that was his big that that was the story that you know sort of launched Gonzo journalism, and um, you know he's from Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So he uh, now I, I covered him, and it was a very professional relationship for for the last five years of his life. But um, he had invited me to parties and stuff at his house, and he invited me to a Kentucky Derby party. Which is, you know, a big deal for those reasons at Hunter's house. And I didn't make it, um, but he's, he called me up later and he said, oh, it, it's too bad you missed it. We spiked the mint juleps with LSD. Oh. <laughs> the mint juleps like the famous Kentucky Derby drink. Thank <laughs> God you didn't go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would have been but a you day. Know, <laughs> pr- professionally, so I covered this front page story um regarding hunter and him trying to free this woman from prison yeah and it took a long time it basically was reinvestigating a murder case um and uh you know he wanted it to be published you know he was anxious for it to be published um and you know as part of his crusade and and not that the the story was biased but you know it, it was an objective story, but he thought it would show the truth of what happened to this woman. And uh, he he would the, sort of the professionally, the, the craziest story was he said, you know, I'm going to give this story to another reporter if you don't publish it. And he accused me of being in cahoots with the district attorney who had prosecuted this woman because <laughs> um, I wouldn't publish the story. And, uh, you know, when he wanted it and said, so just takes time, you know. Yeah, and I, mean, I said it, if. Sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, I just, if you want this story to prove your point, you want it to be as accurate as I do. <laughs> so shut up. No, I didn't tell him that. But. 
Yeah, I was, I was about to say, it's not exactly got the m- most massive amount of trust in authority, really, has he, uh, mm. Hunter S. Thompson. Um, but yeah. let, c- c- please, Jeff, can you come back and can we do a Hunter F- S. Thompson episode? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, we'd love that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's pencil it in for, uh, yeah, we'll speak after the show, show, Jeff. But, yeah, thank you so much. Uh it's been, yeah, we've learned a lot. Uh, I came into the show with a couple of preconceived ideas about who uh, Harris and Klebold were, and I, I feel like you've, you've, uh, you've addressed those uh, preconceived ideas I had, and thank you for that. And I don't think we could have got a better person to to speak about the uh, to speak about this sad day, man, isn't it? I mean, uh, and it's you been it, it's it's a uh, I don't know. It's an amazing You know what, mate? Uh, for me, I I was around in 1999. I, I mm. watched, obviously, Michael Moore's uh, Bowling for Columbine. Mm. Um, but today was a much more sort of... Um, realistic. Realistic, yeah. sort of uh, intense. Uh, I, I really sort of put myself out there Je- um, Jeff, thanks to Jeff yeah. Jeff what do you make to Michael Moore's documentary is is it full of shit or did you enjoy it <laughs> I wouldn't say he would have enjoyed it uh, <laughs> sorry well I'm well, just I mean, it, yeah I mean I think I mean he had it wasn't really about Columbine it wasn't really about school shootings or mass shootings um, it was uh, about gun, gun control. control yeah I mean, and that's that's fine. I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, fault him or, or not. I mean, that's that's his stance, and that's fine. Um, that's what he wanted to do. I mean, I do think some of the stuff he brought up, as far as the reasons behind Columbine or school shootings, like he talked about the NATO bombings and how that might have influenced Harris and Klebold to be violent. I mean, that's just there's nothing. I don't think there's anything there. That was sort of wacky, you know? If you remember that from the movie, he talks about the NATO bombings of Yugoslavia and, you know, that stuff. I I don't think it was an in-depth exploration of school shootings. Oh, cool. Well, Moore's a bit of a lefty liberal, isn't he? So let's leave it over that. that, that, I mean, that's fine, but it's don't pretend you're doing an investigation of school shootings when you're not. Yeah. Okay, brother. Touche. Okay. Touche. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much. Jeff, uh, where can people, uh, if people want to get hold of you, where can they find you on social media or find your book? Can you can you give out your details? Yeah, well, my website is Jeff Cass Author, J-E-F-F-K-A-S-S, author.com. And uh, you can contact me through the website, Um if you want to talk about Columbine, have any questions, you can buy the book through the website. Sorry about that. That's okay. You can't turn down the notifications while you have the volume up. <laughs> it's okay, Jeff. Go on, carry on. So we can get you on your website. Uh, so Jeff uh, dot com. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, and uh, are you on social media at all? 
Uh, I, a little. Facebook. I mean, y- yeah. My well, my Twitter is Jeff R. Cass. Yeah. Um, but I don't tweet a lot, but I am on Twitter. Okay. Okay, brother. So the best place to come is is your website. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm at uh, Crypto Mickey on Twitter. Yep. Willie uh, at Willie Delius. Jimmy. I'm at YouTube man watching <laughs> Horizons uh, documentary that they did on Hunter S. Thompson, man. And it's uh, fucking brilliant, man. I'm going to watch one. that again. Jeff, uh, if you yeah. can come back on in a few weeks and, and do Hunter S. Thompson, we, we'd love that, bro. We'd love that. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Take care. Thank and you, too. Strangers, good night. Come and follow us on, on all the uh, social media platforms. Thank you. Mwah, mwah, mwah.